Welcome again as we continue our journey through the commandments and learn about God's beautiful, wonderful recipe for a wonderful life. Let's begin with uh, an opening prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, we're going to get started here with the Ten Commandments going through the list. Call them out loud and clear. What's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. Number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number three, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Very good. Number four, honor your father and your mother. Number five, you shall not kill. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not covet your neighbor's good. Number 10, very good, very good. So this session we're going to be focusing on the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And this is about our sexuality and how do you compact the greatness and the wonder and the mystery of our sexuality into a short presentation? Well, we'll do our best and I know by the end of it there's going to be some things that you're going to think, well, he didn't cover this or that or the other thing. And that's just the constraint of time. And so I uh, encourage you to explore it. We've got some resources listed in your workbook there that you can explore some of these things. And so we encourage you to do that. Now, there's this village in Ireland, and one Sunday morning, Patrick shows up for church. Now, Patrick is not accustomed to coming to church, and so it was kind of peculiar. So after Mass, Father goes up to Patrick. Ah, Patrick, it's good to see you here this morning. What brings you to church, my lad? He goes, ah, hello, Father. Yes, I, I came to church today because I lost my hat. And Father says, you lost your hat? I don't quite understand. Well, why does that have to do with coming to church today? He says, well, you see, I lost my hat a couple weeks ago, and I keep seeing Willie walking around with my hat. And so I thought, you know, I can come to church because I know he'll be here, and when he goes up to communion, I can go in in the pew and I can get my hat back. Ah, I see, I understand now, but, but I'm a little confused there, Patrick. I don't see that you have your hat back. He goes, oh, no, Father, I... I didn't get my hat back. He says, well, why not? He says, well, Father, it was, it was your sermon on the Ten Commandments. And when you got to the Sixth Commandment on adultery, I finally remembered where I left my hat. <laughs> it's a fun joke to laugh at, but why do we laugh at it? Why do we laugh at something as sacred as our bodies and our sexuality? I think we laugh at this because we don't 
appreciate how great and wonderful God has made us in our bodies. And it's because our culture and our society, we've degraded our sexuality. We've cheapened it, made it so much less than what God created it for. My hope today is that we restore that sacredness and the greatness of our sexuality and the gift of being co-creators with God in our bodies. In order to do this, we're gonna to have to get a little muddy again like we did in the last session. And so bear with me as we go through some of this. There's some ugliness of this, but we'll get to the good stuff after the, the group discussion. Antonio Stradivari was a 17th century creator of some of the world's most renowned string instruments. Stradivarius violins, very famous. And people have extreme high regards for these fine instruments. And they're highly prized by the richness and quality of the sound that they produce. The world's renowned Violinist Yo-Yo Ma and Julian Lord Weber use these violins to create beautiful, wonderful music. Some of these violins have sold for $3.6 million. Highly valued, highly revered. Now you go out to the stadiums out here and there's this guy there, he's got a plastic bucket. And he sets it down and he has drumsticks and he starts beating on this bucket. It's kind of fun to listen to and people enjoy it. Doesn't quite come up to the standards of Stradivarius, but it's kind of fun. Now, what if somebody pays $3.6 million for a Stradivarius violin, turns it over so the back is facing up and takes drumsticks and starts beating on that violin? Wouldn't you just want to scream? You could make music with it, but how inferior would that music be compared to what it was designed for? And you think if Antonio Stradivari came in while somebody's beating on one of his fine instruments with drumsticks, how would he feel? How disrespected and angry would he be if you saw somebody doing this? Violins are great instruments and they're beautiful, but they don't come even close to what God has created in the gift of our bodies. How much more precious is the gift of our bodies and our sexuality than a Stradivari violin? Magnitudes greater in the ingeniousness of how our sexuality works and the purpose for which it was created. Yet through adultery, pornography, sex change operations, contraceptives, and the list goes on and on, our culture has desecrated what God has created to be great and reduced the human body to be so much less. similar to somebody taking their $3.6 million Stradivari and beating on it with drumsticks. And think of how God just wants to scream 
and how disrespectful it is to God who's given us this wonderful gift. Our sexuality is intended to glorify God. It's intended to build and strengthen and unite the marriage couple in their love and in their relationship and to show that love to their children. Sometimes we pursue love in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. We pursue love in a disordered way. So our culture has taken what is holy and sacred and it's made it ugly, it's cheapened it, it's reduced it to something very inferior. So what is intended to be life-giving has become self-serving. Now before we continue, I just want to say a thing about the sacrament of marriage. The sacrament of marriage as sanctioned by God is a sacred relationship of two people, one man and one woman. In today's world, marital infidelity includes things like sexting. How about romance novels, cyber romances? Adultery is an injustice to everybody involved, including a future spouse. So marital infidelity applies both to those who are married and to those who are not yet married. And it damages that covenant, that holy covenant of, in the sacrament of marriage because that marriage is no longer a total commitment and it's no longer exclusive when we bring in another person into that relationship. And that's what marital infidelity is, adultery is, is we're bringing another person or persons into the marital relationship. What is supposed to be between one person, one, one man and one woman. And that third person or other people come in and they interfere with that relationship and it damages that relationship and it damages the sacramental covenant of exclusivity and total commitment. The world's view of adultery is that they want to just water adultery down, make it so that it's not sounding so serious. And so here's another euphemism. Oh, it's cheating. It's not the same. It's not, let's call it what it is. And so adultery waters it down into this euphemism of cheating. They also say, well, you know, if you don't get caught, it's okay. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's, there's, there's no damage done here. And if it's consensual, what's the big deal? Let's not make a big deal out of it. And they say, well, as long as it's safe, then, then it's okay. You have commit adultery in a safe way. And if nobody gets hurt, no harm, no foul, right? See the lies in these? The problem here is with adultery, somebody always gets hurt. Remember one of the earlier sessions on the commandments, we talked about how the natural laws that God put in place, they're always in place, and we may not see the direct result of them and the consequences right away, but they're always in play, always active. And they're automatic and it's not God punishing us but it's us initiating the, the dominoes that fall into place and fall over and the consequences that are caused by our actions somebody always gets hurt and it's never safe and what happens is afterwards people start to feel the shame and in the shame 
people retreat and become isolated and they try and hide what they have done. And as they hide what they have done and they realize it, depression sets in. And as depression sets in, people sometimes punish themselves and they engage in destructive behaviors. In addition to the emotional and spiritual damage of so-called cheating, we have the physical damage. The physical damage of contracting a disease which leads to infertility. Some people say, oh, worst thing that could happen is somebody gets pregnant if they commit adultery. That's not the worst thing that could happen. Infertility is a real consequence of casual sex. How much of a heartache is it for a couple to realize they can't have kids because of something one of them did earlier on in life? With adultery, there's another very serious physical damage, and that is, should somebody get pregnant in adultery, now Satan's got a hook in them. And Satan says, well, you can take care of this. It's just a blob of cells. It's just some tissue. You don't want to have this burden. And so now the physical damage is taking another's life. The damage of adultery goes further. It's not just about the people involved in that adultery. There's a ripple effect that cascades across the families, the children that a couple might have, or the future children that they would have had had the marriage not suffered the blow and ended in divorce. How about the siblings and how it impacts them, or the nephews and nieces who look up to their aunts and uncles and then they see what's happening and they are disillusioned. It affects them and the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. There's a ripple effect in the damage that's caused with adultery. Adultery is a choice that trades something of greater value for something of lesser value. It's a choice that chooses a counterfeit, pornography or a strip club, over the real deal, which is the love and the authentic relationship that we all desire. It's a choice that causes us to become less like God, and it's a choice that causes us to become less human. It strips us of our dignity, and as it strips us of our dignity, we become a slave to the passions. It takes control over us. So adultery is not just about being good or bad. It's about settling for less than what God is offering to us. So in order to get a handle on adultery, we need to take a look at what lust is and how Satan uses lust to deceive us and to lure us into his trap. Lust, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says lust is a disordered desire for inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. And it continues saying sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. So this lust causes us to disorder our priorities. Again, trading what is great and settling for something that is less, but it also puts pleasure over relationships. It puts ourselves over God. 
And lust replaces our freedom. It, it t- strips us from our freedom and it enslaves us in the desire, the disordered desire for sexual pleasure. You ever hear the phrase opportunity knocks, only knocks once? I think probably most everybody's heard that, that phrase. Well, in regards to lust, it doesn't seem to just knock once. It seems like it leans on the doorbell <laughs> and it keeps ringing and ringing and it keeps ringing and it keeps ringing until we either stop listening to it or we give in to it. We need to go back to this cycle of confusion to see how this all plays out. And we see that as the target of Satan's lies and deception to enslave us in lust, it behooves us to understand his tactics and how he works so we can recognize it. Just like a football team, they want to understand how the other team is going to play so they can recognize those plays and be able to respond to it. We need to do the same to see how Satan uses lust. So the roots of lust, it starts with the temptation. It's Satan whispering in our ear, hey, this isn't a big deal. And if we push God off into the margins of our lives, we don't recognize that Satan is whispering a lie into our ears. And he says, you know, a quick peek won't matter. It's just, a, just for a moment, just take a quick peek at this here. Or maybe a little flirting, not a big deal. It's just all in fun or... Maybe it's just a professional lunch with somebody of the opposite sex from the office. The problem is, when we take a quick peek or do a little flirting, what it does is it whets the appetite. And as it whets the appetite, the temptation is no longer from the outside coming in. It's now within us. And it's tempting us from within. It started to take hold of us and being deadly this lust starts to sap us of our strength and as we become weak the lust expands and grows more until we become its slave this is how satan gets us to listen to his lies and how the lust works once it starts to take hold and as we become the slave to lust, we lose our human dignity. And falling into adultery, it causes a wake of destructions. Because now we've got to hide what we've done. We've got to protect it. And so we do that with lies. And that breaks down the relationships that we have. And so as we start to listen to the worldly wisdom, those lies of Satan, It confuses us, and then we start making bad decisions and hiding things with lies, doing things that we shouldn't, and this damages our relationship. And as it damages our relationships, it starts to isolate us. And so we see this cycle of confusion and how the lust comes into play, and it leaves a wake of destruction in its path, and we don't know how to get off of this this cycle. Now, some people say, well, looking's not a big deal. It doesn't hurt, and they're doing it because that's their profession, or uh, they're doing it willingly. And so nobody gets hurt. Well, let me tell you a story about how pornography and nightclubs, strip clubs, 
just looking truly causes a wake of damage. There was a, uh, a, a man that gave a talk at uh, one of the men's programs that I went to a few years back. And this man was a previous, he was a former manager of a strip club. And he talked about how he recruited young women into the sex industry. And he says it starts in late spring, late May, June timeframe, when the high school girls have just graduated. And he'd go in and hang out where the girls hang, hung out and buy them a drink and get to be friends with them. And he'd typically find those that were very pretty, but also those that didn't have a clear direction as to what they're gonna do next in life. And he'd say, well, you know, you can come down and you're probably looking for some work. And I work for, for a bar and you can come down and work here at the bar with me. And, and uh, it pays really well. The tips at the, in my bar are very good. Sounds good to the young girl who has no other plans. So she goes down there and finds out, oh, this is a nightclub. And the manager would say, don't, don't worry about it. All, I'm, all I want you to do is, is serve drinks. That, that's all I want you to do. So don't worry about you know, what we're doing. And, and I, I think you'll be fine with it after you give it a try. So she gives it a try and, and she starts to notice the attention that the girls up on the platform are getting. And she kind of likes that attention a little bit. He says that within two weeks of starting, these young girls in the prime of their life are up on the platform. And they really like the excitement and, the, and the, uh, uh, the attention that they're getting and the tips are great, but after a short while, they start realizing what's happening. They start feeling the shame and the guilt. And they go and they say to them, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is just, this is just wrong. I'm just feeling so depressed. And, and he says, yeah, that, that's natural. That, that's, that, you know, this always happens. But I'll tell you, I've got something that'll help you here. Take these pills here, and these pills will, will, will get you through this. And so she starts taking the pills, and they make her feel a little bit better. And this goes on for a little while. And then he says, well, wait a minute. You're making the big money now. I can't just keep giving you these pills. You need, to, you need to buy them. And so they start spending their money on these pills. And this goes on for a period of time until the following spring when the new recruits graduate from high school. And he goes and does the same thing with them and he brings them in and now the girl that he recruited the previous year, she's old hat. And he says to her, you know, we've got these new recruits that we brought in, he may not call them recruits, these new young women who have come in, and, you know, I think we need to let you go. And she goes, well, wait a minute, I, I depend on this now. I, you know, you, how am I going to pay for, for the pills that, that I need to take, and I've got a lifestyle now that, that requires me to be making this money. I can't, you can't just let me go. And he says, don't worry, don't worry. I've got you taken care of. I've got a friend down the street and he runs another place down there that I think you'll like. It's not as nice as this one here, but, but he'll take good care of you. Go down there and give him my name. And so she goes down there and, and she pushes the previous year's recruits out the door. And then a year later, the same thing happens to her. Now she's dependent upon the drugs, she's dependent upon the money, and there's no place for her to go except out on the streets. 
The only thing she knows how to do is to sell herself, and she has to do this to satisfy the addictions that she now has. It's a sad, sad, sad story. In two years' time, this beautiful, promising young woman with her life ahead of her has been used up by people just looking. So the next time somebody tells you, well, we're just looking at the menu here, tell them that story. Make them realize what damage is being caused. So let's break into our group discussions here. We've got four questions there. Just concentrate on the first two right now. Take the first two minutes in silence. Take that for your time to gather your thoughts before opening it up for discussion. When you do open it up for discussion, the question is, how has our culture's attitude about sex changed in your lifetime? And what problems is this change causing? I know I've left you here in the mud. <laughs> with this, but we're gonna look at the, the beauty of our sexuality that God gives us 